very much. Our, our second speaker this morning um, is Keith Piper. Um, Keith Piper, the visual artist, educator, and cultural activist, is currently a reader in fine art and digital media um, at Middlesex University. He was a founder member of the Black Art Group in 1982, as well as, one of, as, well as at the Black Art Group Research Project 2012, which was established to uh, examine the development of the British Black Art Movement of the 1980s. And this group staged an exhibition and symposium at the Graves Gallery Sheffield in 2012, and a major conference entitled Reframing the Moment in Wolverhampton in <coughs> October 2012 to mark the 30th anniversary of the first National Black Art Convention, 1982. Using a variety of media, Keith Piper's work over the past 30 years has ranged from painting, through photography and installation, to a use of digital media, video and computer-based interactivity. His recent work has included the site-specific installation Lost Vitrines for the Victoria and Albert Museum in 2010, and in, 2000, in 2007, and in 2010 he undertook a residency at CBK in Dordrecht in the Netherlands, which led to an installation entitled A Future Museum of the Present. His work was featured in Afro-Modern at Tate Liverpool in 2007, and Migrations at Tate Britain in 2012. And his talk this morning is entitled Getting Into Character, Encounters with Tricksterism in Contemporary Depictions of the American Slave uh, Plantation. Please welcome. Hi. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. Um, and I'd like to kind of thank um, the organisers for, for inviting me. Now, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble here because I don't understand how to use a PC. So I need to... Um, um, and also, I really wanted to thank Alan, well, he's disappeared. Um, just in terms of, 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 of that incredibly, incredibly um, um, dense and, in, and enlightening presentation. And it's in terms of our sort of absence of an understanding of that entire history. And I, and I kind of hope that we can engage you know, much more fully in, in that. And especially in terms of the kind of reenactment um, which you which you showed, um, which happened in the in the West Midlands, which is fantastic. Um, I'm going to apologise because um, in terms of oh, oh my goodness, in terms of what I'm planning, uh, can we go back to the yeah that should start the um, um I'm going to show a, um, a sort of compressed. Um, pre-recorded um, uh, uh, presentation, which is what I, I like to do, um, because I, you know, um, I would do anything to avoid having to be in this kind of context. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's only 15 minutes long, and so it, it is extremely compressed. Um, it comes out of an ongoing um, range of interests and works which look at the idea of the trickster. Um, and it begins to kind of take up themes around um, um, how those individuals appear in terms of, of depictions of the plantation rather than the actual plantation. I'm very, very interested in the way in, in which that space has been viewed from the historical perspective of now, and in this case, from the 1970s. And so I'll just, I'll just run this piece and then we can... There is a scene from the sprawling televised melodrama Roots, 
just stuck in my mind ever since it was first screened in the UK in 1977. In it, we see Kizzy, the daughter of Captain Mandinka Kunta Kinte, as an old woman working on the plantation of Tom Moore in Caswell County, North Carolina. In a chance encounter, she recognises an old white woman as Missy Ann Reynolds, her childhood friend and daughter of the owners of the plantation on which Kizzy grew up in Spotsylvania County, Virginia. The two had been traumatically separated as teenagers when Kizzy, after aiding another slave in a failed escape attempt, had been sold away as punishment. Kizzy introduces herself. Begging your lady's pardon, but... Is your name Missy Ann Reynolds? But my maiden name was Reynolds, yes. I'm Kizzy. I'm sorry, but I... I don't recollect knowing any darky by the name of Kizzy. Another cup. Kizzy then secretly spits into a cup of water and hands it to Miss Anne to drink. This is seen as a small but significant act of resistance on the part of a woman whose initial youthful optimism has been systematically and cruelly ground out of her by the brutal rigours of 19th century slave plantation society. It was an act of subversion in which stripped of material property the slave resorts to the use of one of the final domains over which a limited measure of control remains possible, the abject excretions from their own bodies. In societies in which racial paranoia saw a single drop of black blood as sufficient to pollute the genetic lineage of whiteness, the symbolic power of covertly tricking a member of the planter class to ingest a droplet of black spit resonates. As we know both from history and from Kitty's own life story, the power of the white male planter to deposit his genetic material into the body of the slave through acts of rape were repeatedly exercised. This limited but symbolically charged act of reversal is expressed through Kizzy's final smile and carries the memory of thousands of undocumented small acts of resistance on the part of plantation slaves. It is the memory of these undocumented trickster acts that I attempt to re-evoke in my 2007 work Lost for Dreams, produced as part of the Unrecorded Truth exhibition at London's Victorian Albert Museum. One object in particular takes up the memory of Kizzy's covert act of tricksterism. Miss Mary's micro-resistance toolkit takes Kizzy's spontaneous act performed on a dusty North Carolina roadside and turns it into an imagined, systematised cottage industry through the production of a toolkit for the performing of acts of trickster subversion. It is comprised of a wooden box containing several bottles for the collection of bodily materials, each bottle labelled for its intended contents, and an instruction manual giving directions for their use. 1. Collect materials. 2. In the case of fluids, store in containers directly. 3. In the case of solids, allow to dry, finely chop or crush, place in container. 4. Store containers in secure and discreet position. 5. Wait for a symbolically poetic moment. 6. At such a moment, 
secretly sprinkle a small quantity of material into the food or drink being prepared for the slaveholder or associates of the slaveholder. 7. Serve food or drink in the customary manner. 8. Stand back and observe consumption. 9. Savour the moment. The television miniseries Roots was in some respects revolutionary and in others very much of its time. It is based on the novel Roots, the saga of an American family, written by Alex Haley and first published in 1976, selling a million copies in its first year. Questions have been subsequently raised around Haley's claims to a verifiably factual base to what is essentially a work of fiction. By his own admission, it was based on what he described as carefully preserved oral histories. Henry Louis Gates and others have identified its importance its ability to have captured the collective imagination. And it could be argued that Roots tells us as much about the politics and aspirations of the post-civil rights era in the early 1970s and the need within that moment to reimagine African-American genealogy and social history as it does about any notion of a historically accurate narrative. In this respect, the visual codes deployed in the title sequence of the television miniseries appear to be positioned in dialogue with the graphic covers of contemporary pulp novels, which proliferated during the 1970s and could be described as belonging to a genre which has been dubbed slave exploitation. Seen as a subcategory of the black exploitation genre of the same era, slave exploitation texts depicts the antebellum plantation as a site in which spectacular bodies, both black and white, are constantly locked in a steamy web of desire, overlaid by an unhealthy dollop of brutal sadomasochism, abuse and outrage, which is calculated to appall, but mostly to titillate. <laughs> the salacious pulp novels of this era are seen as beginning with Kyle Onslaught's Mandingo, which was published in 1957, and carried through to a rapidly descended spiral of copycat works into the early 1980s. Each work played on the voyeuristic fantasies which surround the body as property. What all of these books share, along with the slave exploitation movies which they spawned, such as Richard Fleischer's Mandingo of 1975 and Steve Carver's Drum of 1976, which are both based on Carl Onslaught novels, was the notion of the uncomplex black subject. Black bodies are either the disempowered victims of the brutal attention of others, or, if at liberty to, will themselves revert to brutal type. There is little or no space for the complexities of the trickster figure to emerge within this crude dichotomy. However, within these narratives lie the seeds of two opposing trickster types, which are worth further examination. Although not from a slave exploitation film in the classic sense, the character of Mammy, played by Hattie McDaniels in Gone with the Wind of 1939, displays an intriguing but covert trickster core allowing her to use her insider house negro status in order to cajole, to backchat, to criticize, and to a limited degree, speak truth to power. And I ain't aiming for you to go to Mr. John Wilkinson and eat like a field hand and gobble like a hog. Another trickster type to emerge from the slave exploitation genre who could be seen as the victimized turned victimizing avenger who uses tricksterism as a strategic ploy within acts of role reversal. Within the context of the antebellum South, and indeed, during the moments following the Civil War, these predominantly male characters are often depicted as cowboy figures. Located directly within the 1970s black exploitation and slave exploitation genres, we see films such as 
The Legend of Nigger Charlie in 1972 and Boss Nigger in 1975. Whilst a wholly more original take on the role reversing tricks the cowboy figure appears in the form of Sheriff Bart, played by Cleveland Little in Mel Brooks's 1974 comedy Blazing Saddles. Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> The influences of the 1970s slave exploitation movie, alongside other depictions of the antebellum South, have been acknowledged by Quentin Tarantino in his 2012 cut-and-paste filmic homage, Django Unchained. Within this film, we see reinvented versions of these two trickster types, and set against a jagged pastiche of cinematic genres which have been borrowed from sources ranging from the spaghetti western, the neo-noir revenge slasher movie, and of course, the slave exploitation movie. Hattie McDaniel's empowered house negro is revisited in an arguably more complex and malevolent form in the character of Stephen the house negro, played by Samuel L. Jackson. Strategically oscillating between attempts to conceal his power beneath a tricksterish veneer of doddering buffoonery, yet at other moments expressing power through an alignment with, but also a manipulation of, the power of the white plantocracy, Stephen is able to say what would normally be unsayable, in this case, likening the plantation owner to a rock in his shoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, my ass. Who this nigga up on that name? Oh, Stephen, you have nails for breakfast. What's the matter? Why you so honored? You miss me? Huh? Oh, yes, sir. I miss you. Like a, like a whole Miss Flop. Like a, like a, a baby. Miss Mammy Titty. I miss you like I miss a rock in my shoe. <laughs> now, I asked you, who this nigga on that name? It's Snowball. I don't know my name or the name of my horse. The black character on horseback, the nigger on the nag, is already occupying a transgressive space in relationship to the racial hierarchies of the antebellum South and to notions of black mobility and social empowerment. What's everybody staring at? They ain't never seen no nigger on no horse before. In this respect, the black cowboy figure takes on an invariably tricksteresque persona within which the expected social conventions are overturned. In the character of Django, the role reversing victimized turned victimizer is depicted by Jamie Foxx with a deadpanness deliberately borrowed from Clint Eastwood's archetypal man with no name of the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns of the 1960s. This is merged with the remorphing of the classic Stagger Lee character who links the late 1890s with the machismo, love of costume and performativity of contemporary gangster rap. In the climatic scene, these two trickster types are brought into direct confrontation. It is in this moment that Django becomes staggerly, and Stephen reveals the full extent of his tricksterism, revealing that the doddering old man was in fact another performative trickster ploy. In Stephen's final smile, we see a negative echo of Kizzy's smile at her small moment of trickster triumph. 
These are figures located at opposite ends of Malcolm X's house negro, field negro dichotomy. Stephen, the house negro, re-expresses his absolute alignment to the house and the power it represents down to his final words. They ain't gonna just kill you, nigga. You done fucked up. This Candy Land, nigga. You can't destroy Candy Land. We've been here. There's always gonna be a Candy Land. Whilst, as Malcolm X predicted, the field negro prays that the house and all that it stands for burns down, or, in the case of Django, that it blows up. Go! You open it, son of a.